Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats of all ages, welcome to another exciting, scintillating episode of the Development Hill Podcast. This is episode 99, so only one more time I have to passively, aggressively ask Ed to record an episode. Did I? I thought I asked you about this one to record. Well, because I've been leaving you alone because you're busy working on, and I'm air quoting, real music um, instead of, of wanting to record the podcast. But that's how it goes. So on episode 99, Ed asked me a while ago who who was who I thought are, was our best guest over the years. And we've had quite a few on the show, but the one that immediately leapt to the forefront of my mind because his stories were always so awesome is Wonder Network's own Paul Reinheimer. So Paul is joining us tonight from his palatial estate uh, about an hour and a half from me in the snowy wilds of southwestern Ontario in Canada. Good evening. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is perfect timing. Oh, Paul is, Paul is not a cat. Hang on. I have met Paul in person many times, and I can't confirm that Paul is not a cat. Are you sure? Uh, 100%. I've seen, I've seen that clip for cats, and I didn't understand. Why do these cats have human breasts? What? The, the movie of the musical Cats. I'm I'm not familiar. You know, there was a musical called Cats that played in... Maybe, maybe the soonest we leave this behind, the better. All right, let's <laughs> just move on. Uh, it appears the last time you were on, uh, Paul, mm-hmm. was episode 71, and you came on with Gemma. Uh, that was great. Actually, I was talking to Gemma yesterday about about being on this podcast again and you know i was excited and when when chris mentioned uh, the email he implied but did not actually state that i may have been one of your better guests um really yeah the the email only implied it implied um and i I mentioned to Gemma that this time i couldn't get her to run back up to my hotel room to get me my laptop halfway through (laughs) uh, which was something that happened the last time because we have a remember spreadsheet that. of all of the horrible providers we've left. Oh, okay. Right, right, yeah. right. See, this is why I wanted Paul on, because the story is about just the nonsense he goes through just to run his business. Uh, I always found fascinating and entertaining and always made me glad I did not go into business for myself. It sounds terrible. I mean, who else can tell us stories about, like, how to co-locate a box at a, at a data center in, you know, in Peru or something and what's the proper level of bribery um, required to, you know, get access to the to the data center at a later time? Awesome stories like that. You know, I, I've signed a lot of anti-bribery statements now. That sort of thing is no longer applicable to my life. Oh, man. Sure well, it's, 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 well, it's crazy. When you – so should we back up a little bit? Do we need more introduction? Where, where, where should we go from here? Well, I mean, since it's been 20 years since our last episode, you should probably uh, – Yeah, you know, who are you? Yeah, who are you awesome. and why, sh- why should we care? Just pretend. Um, I'm Paul Reinheimer. I'm one of the co-founders of Wonder Proxy. Uh, we help people test their website from around the world. Um, lots of websites care where you are in the world because they want to show you different content. They want to lock out some content. They want to show you promotions that are relevant to your interests. And it's actually tricky to test that sort of thing. And we have proxy servers in like 250 cities and 80 some odd countries around the world. And we let people do that really easily without having to throw hacks in their code. I guess I started this company like nine years ago with my, my co-founder, Will, because uh, I worked for a company at the time that needed this service to exist, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I worked part time on it for maybe like the first six years. Yep. Uh, it was it was my side gig. And then it was it was time to make the switch. Um, and I went full time. Three, three years ago, something yeah. like that. Yeah. That and it's been great and, and horrible and, and hard. <laughs> All of those sure. things. Yep. Will your kids eat? I asked a question. Sorry, you cut it for a second there. I heard your kids. Will your kids eat? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to keep eating. Allison makes okay. more money than me, so that's that's pretty much assured. Not really a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's Allison doing um, now? Um, Allison is currently on, on mostly on parental leave, but she works a day a week. Uh, but she's a uh, technical writer at MongoDB. So she works Her, one day a week and makes more money than you do. <laughs> um, well, like her title's like staff engineer or something. So she's doing she's doing something right over there. Oh, yeah, she's right. pretty fancy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if she makes more money than me one day a week. But it's but she does in, in, in general. Sounds pretty our, good. Our youngest is currently five months, so we're still doing parental leave things here. I, I don't work Wednesdays currently and spend them with the kids. Oh, that's weird. You should come to the States and never get leave. <laughs> no right? leave, it's, no vacation. No leave, no vacation. Your healthcare premiums can be like six grand a month. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah, that's the dream. You just die. Yes. Yeah. So I wrote um on, on some message boards i belonged to a couple months ago mm. about sort of our, our birth experience for our daughter case who's almost six months old now where it was like um a scheduled but but medically suggested c-section okay sure and, and so you know we show up and before the baby was born there's like bonus ultrasounds at like the regional children's hospital um extra genetic testing stuff oh Lots of things, you know, the the the, the scheduled C-section, bonus ultrasounds and reads in the hospital for a couple of days. Come home, and our total bill was, I think maybe between my lunches and parking, mm. eighty bucks. That's pretty good for surgery. That's pretty good yeah. for anything, like anything related medical wise, getting out of there right. for under under a C note is the typical Canadian experience. But I can imagine some of our American listeners, um, yeah. their their yeah. uh, their brains have exploded at the idea that you can go and get have a, you know, go to the hospital for a somewhat routine, but not always routine procedure. Yeah. C-sections, a lot of them happen, but this was, you know, and yet yeah. all the other stuff. And it's like, you're literally just, you're just basically out of pocket for some food for yourself and maybe some stuff for Allison and parking and our wonderful combination of our wonderful, um, a single payer healthcare system plus supplemental insurance. If you're lucky enough um, to have it oh, yeah. means that means that oh, you're basically yeah. not out of pocket. Yeah, it was pretty good. Actually, we may have had a little bit extra to get a private room, but that oh, would have been like an extra $400 that we got 360 back from private insurance. Mm, so you pay to make sure that no one can see you. Well, and, and, and like, you know, you're not getting any sleep for like the two days after your baby's born because they're waking up and eating right. and screaming all the time. Meanwhile, and so you're trying to, you're trying to eat out whatever... Alley. <laughs> Whatever minute of sleep you can get, you don't want the other person in the room to be having their baby screaming at that minute. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you know, it, was, it happens. Yeah. Uh, so we were lucky and we were happy and, you know, excellent childcare. We were 
healthcare, we were, we were really happy. Cool. And you know, maybe if we were American, we'd be bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Or just dead. Or likely or more likely, Paul, you probably wouldn't have bothered taking a risk on starting a company knowing that the first medical medical incident would bankrupt you. So exactly. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're ruined for life. You know, I've, I've, I've had plenty of opportunities to move to the United States and (laughs) the idea that, that something could go wrong and like my parents would need to sell their houses in order for me to not die is just terrifying. Need to get that, uh, that like, you need to move to the States, but just say that you're visiting for like years and get that yeah. like traveler's insurance. Yeah. There's like, um, I've, I've heard this from a few places where like travel insurance is like X dollars and travel yeah. insurance. If you mention going to the United States is like X times two. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that no one's going to pay for anything. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah, it's awful it's just awful it, it, it's really frustrating like and it's it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse uh it's gotten super bad like it's just last 10 years just costs go up and up and up and like my i i i am relatively i earn like in my area like the top five or ten percent of like what the what a person normally makes and uh, my insurance was so much better 10 years ago for the same, like for less money, I got way, way, way better insurance. My deductible yeah. is now eight, $8,000 a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a lot of money. Yep. Yeah. Um, so for the most part, until I pay for that, uh, I, until I pay for, uh, uh, um, I, I, until that's that's hit, I pay out of pocket for almost everything. But here's the fun stuff: is the uh, is uh, insurance roulette where it's like, I don't know, maybe we'll pay for that or not. I don't right. know what'll happen. Maybe it'll be forty dollars. Maybe it'll be four hundred dollars. We don't know. Maybe maybe somebody walks by your room who's in the hospital that's in your network, but they're an out of network provider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I and and I'm even talk I'm just talking about things like I went to the doctor and the doctor said, "Oh yeah, you should probably get a blood test, you know, just to keep an eye on things like we normally do." Like, "Hey, yeah, yeah let's just check on that." Yeah. And then it's like, "Oh, well, yeah, that that's going to cost you $500." Or maybe not. I don't really know. Like, you'll get a bill, but then you call up and you're like, "Is this the bill?" and they'll say, "Oh no, you should just wait." Like, why did you send me a bill? Uh, they just send that out and they haven't like, it's like, well, we haven't quite negotiated out like what it's actually going to cost. So we're just going to send you a bill. That's how things work. Yeah. It's a disaster. So speaking of disasters, yes. Paul, since the last time we talked to you, what's the, yes. since we're all about change and how things have maybe gotten Mm -hmm. worse so you know like almost everything has gotten worse what's the biggest change you've seen in your own business in wonder network wonder the proxy stuff i'm a i've been paying for the vpn service Mm -hmm. for a very long time it allows me to hide my adult content from the rest of the world so it's always good i can surf in peace and not worry 
And um, but what's the biggest changes you've seen in kind of like the business itself and the and and the service you've been providing? Because for, for people who don't know. Paul has told us on the show, but also, you know, uh, at other gatherings, just some crazy stories about his experiences, all focus around getting a server located somewhere else geographically different in the world for the customers. So they can, as Paul mentioned, the service is basically, if you want to know what your website looks like, say, in China, well, they might have a server located in a data center in China. And then you can run traffic through that to take a look and verify geolocation stuff and advertising and all those things. So in the short span of three years, have you seen a lot of big changes in how you now have to run your business compared to how it was three years ago? I mean, the hosting industry is still a hot mess. Um, and it's been, it's been that way for a while. And I, I don't think it's getting better. Um, the, I think, you know, Amazon is clearly the elephant in the room in any discussion about hosting. Uh, lots of, of people are moving there and moving out of the other places. And so, you know, every now and then, whatever providers decides they want to be more of a cloud provider and stop just stop offering VPSs and start doing cloud, which really just seems like the same thing, but with, you know, a higher price point. There's lots of consolidation going on. I think there's a an Ars Technica article or, or something about like 25 VPS providers were going down yesterday because they were all actually the same company in a series of shell fronts and then something went wrong and it's all just sort of exploding. Um, it's it's in some ways it seems like it's getting worse just because I think the money is now going to the big players. And mm. so the smaller players are getting less of it. And so it's not profitable. So the people who are good at it, go do something, go be good at something else. That doesn't sound good. But that also kind of no. reminds me of like what it was like with uh, like dial up internet. Yeah. And how there used to be like a bunch of dial up internet places and then they, they all consolidated. And now you have to buy your internet service from three people. Yeah. I you remember CompuServe, I, you got yep. AOL, you got the other guy. Uh, I mean, I met, I met my wife while working for um, a dial up uh, internet service provider so right yeah. hey, didn't you snoop on her internet no of course not why would i do that <laughs> i was um, just a little i was just a lowly customer service tech would say have you tried turning it off and on or quit fucking around with your settings and windows this right. thing you keep changing is not going to give you better performance <laughs> please stop doing that sir yeah <laughs> you're gonna type some strings we, into your modem we had a server in alaska for a long time and then Oops. and then we called up for support one day and they couldn't figure out who we were oh boy, or what machine we owned. Uh -oh. And we're like, but we're paying you money. And they're like, yeah, we can see that. We just don't know what it's <laughs> for. And that took them like three days. Oh. And, and then finally they figured out what, they, what we were paying them for. And then, you know, they fixed it. I guess they turned it off and on again. Yep. And, and then I guess they didn't want to sell us that anymore. Okay. So they sent us a letter telling us yep. that they were going to stop turn our server off. Yep. They didn't actually copy paste the address correctly. Mm -hmm. And they insisted on sending it via snail mail. So we never mm -hmm. got that notification. Mm -hmm. And then, so one day, you know, our server in Alaska just turned off mm -hmm. and we're like, so what's going on? They're like, well, we told you we're shutting it off. Here's the letter we sent you. And I'm like, well, that's not our address. Yep. So you can see why we're confused. 
Yeah, but it was really okay. expensive, I, and clearly they weren't that helpful. So you know, we right. just let that go away. It was actually the server was actually inside a trout. I mean, every time I tried to call the sales guy for that one, he was somewhere. Like I think at some point I had to wait for him to call me back for two days because he was in the woods. He was out drinking his own pee. <laughs> I, I don't know what that, but it was just. It was really he was doing us a favor by taking our call. Yeah. Right. And I think we're paying like we were paying like five hundred dollars a month for for a VPS. Yeah. And not a good one. We literally have a Chromebox sitting in a data center somewhere mm -hmm. because um, our provider left the data center, but we still needed to do something. And we're like, would you just put a Chromebox somewhere? Because it's powerful enough for us. And then we don't have to buy a rack mount server. And they That's agreed. Right. So there's just oh, like nice. a Chromebox sitting somewhere. It's just in the middle of an empty room like <laughs> on the floor. There's no shelving. Right. It's all stripped out. <laughs> oh, it's probably like uh, it's probably like on the uh, the receptionist desk, and they keep being told, "Don't touch it. Just it's okay. plugged into the network. Don't touch it." Does this thing do anything? Does we had plug? we had a server like that. Um, one of our first servers in India, they like gave us a server, and it was like CentOS, and we're like, "No, mm -hmm. no, we need Debian." And then they gave yeah. us like another version of CentOS, and we're like, "No, no, we need Debian." Yeah. I'm like, "Oh no, but we, we'll give you this. It's fine." I'm like, "It's really not." And if you can't give me Debian. Then give us our money back. Yeah. And then we got installed in the the hypervisor seemed weird. And we figured out mm. it was like desktop VMware. And then every oh. time like Microsoft Patch Tuesday came around, our box went off. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why like this is why I like, said let's have Paul on. It's 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 content like this. Yes. Right? Every time, every time we came around, we just the box rebooted, and it was just, you know, people wonder. You know, hey, one proxy is a lot of money. And they're like, I could just go sign up for my own VPSs. And I'm like, you know, if you only need like three and you don't actually value anyone on your team's time, sure. Right. But the places we have servers are not always places you want to try to go get a server because it's it's a pain in the neck. And they're, they're not all winners, mm -hmm. the hosting no. providers out there. Right. Now, where in AWS do you buy your servers? <laughs> I think I got I got some flack recently because somebody was like, oh, do you just use AWS? I'm like, AWS, they're cute. <laughs> they're in like 27 locations. Yeah. Right. I have more than that in the United States. Bam. Look at you flexing on the haters. Right. And I mean, it, it's I think we, we, we use AWS for log processing. Mm -hmm. um, Athena plus S3 is like magic and cool. Mm. Um, you upload files in a format that you can define yourself to s3 and then mm. you query them like a database later and mm. it's fast oh that is weird yeah um i think the the google equivalent would be like BigQuery, but um Big it's it's query? just oh shit insanely quick um i have no idea how they make it so fast uh we uploaded all of because we do we get all of our servers to ping all of our other servers every hour and I forget how big a number that is, but we only have like 250 servers, each pinging 250 other servers. It's like mm -hmm. the how many handshakes do you have at a party thing? Oh, it's okay. a lot. So we moved all of that out of MySQL and into like CSV files on Amazon and querying it got way faster. And you don't have to like declare indexes. There's none of that stuff. It's, it's pretty nifty. 
That is pretty nifty. So how much does that cost? You like you pay S3 storage costs and then it's like cents per gigabyte queried. Oh, I see. Right, but free? Basically free. Yeah. Yeah. Right, I gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds like that might be useful, but uh I don't know. Uh whatever. That sounds fine. What about hey, remember that time you drank four drinks at once? I heard you drank and then you cut out. I don't know if it's on mine or yours. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe it is because because uh, Ed is actually drinking. He asked you if you remember the time that you drank four drinks at once. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was good times. I was I was commenting, you know, four vodka tonics. We had. Um, yeah. I forget which state that was in, but the conference I was working for the company throwing the conference at the time. And my views on drinking alcohol at conferences were slightly different than they are now. Um, <laughs> yes. And we prepaid and, and like they, they gave us an open bar, but it, it wasn't actually an open bar. It was just you had to give them thousands of dollars up front. And then the bar was free until you ran out, ran out of that money. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't drink that much, you didn't get the money back. Right. Yeah. It's like so, your budget for the year. You got to spend it. Right. And so I just really wanted people to spend the budget because they didn't want to waste it. And so I just ended up with four drinks. And quad core Reinheimer was born. Hey. Right. Remember when we built our own PCs? That was good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I remember building uh first desktop. Second desktop I ever had was made of stuff that I built. So it's good. I bought a Pentium 150 and I overclocked it to penny to oh. to, to Pentium to 166 megahertz. Look at you, nice. rebel. I have right. never overclocked anything in my life. Well, that was the whole reason I did it was just to get that extra speed. Right. You, yeah. You know, the street and the, and the, the street cred, you've still oh, got yeah. it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted a no. gaming PC a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and, you know, I thought about building it myself and then I just wrote Alienware, a large check. Yep. Um, Really See, I thought about getting. I thought Express. about getting a. I thought about getting a gaming PC, and I decided the best gaming PC was a Nintendo Switch. So, same, yeah. same, same destination, just a slightly different path. Yeah, we have all of the consoles. Um, we never actually turned the PS4 on, but we have it. Or PS3, which one's the new one? That one. No, the newest one is four, but it's like okay. six years old. So I'm not yeah, sure okay, we got one new. of those. I played right. No Man's Sky on it for a while and then You're gave no up Man's on that. Sky. And for a while, um, like, I, th I don't think the Xbox has played Blu-rays well for a long time, or it was the only way to do, like, HD content, so we used it for that. But Xbox fixed that, so we're fine now. Oh, interesting. I have, I have the yeah. HTC Vive, though, and that thing's pretty cool. Vive? Yeah, the Vive. Actually, the mm. Vive Pro, mm -hmm. if I could keep flexing. Yeah, keep it up. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. Like, I've got some games for it. I think the games where you need to walk around are still a little bit weird. Um, I played Subnautica until I got nauseous. Um, oh. But it looks amazing. Um, the one thing that I thought was kind of weird about it is, like, this was an expensive package, right? You got like right. the headset and like the, the things you hold in your hands More. and then the base stations. Yep. And so I bought it 
and then like honestly didn't have a chance to use it much because like we got a puppy or something right and the base stations were just sitting on like my umbrella stands for photography in the basement and one of them just died oh and so i like open up support i'm chatting them for a while and i'm like so how does this you know so they're like okay that's a hardware problem it's broken you need to mail it back to us I'm like yeah, cool right. can we just do like one of those like fast repairs where i give you my credit card number and you ship me a box and it's got a new one in it and i put the yeah. old one in the box and you take that back right you know because i paid you like two grand for all this stuff mm-hmm. and it's like no sir that's not how this works you need you need to go to the store and you need to mail this to us and then when it gets here in like five to 12 business days we'll deem to open the box and then if we think it's a warranty issue we'll eventually fix it or send you a new one okay which for like how much money was spent on this kit just did not seem like the level of warranty repair i was expecting for you know it just broke while it was sitting on my shelf right i was disappointed so you don't feel good about that no no but beat saber is pretty cool along with a space pirate trainer what kind of yeah. pirate trainer space pirate mm. space pirate simulator something like that it's pretty fun so what do you do as a space pirate uh you stand on one platform do not go around in space at all and instead shoot things that are trying to shoot you and maybe have like a shield Mm. it's pretty fun interesting yeah mostly these days i turn on the gaming pc to remember to run windows update in hopes that that something horrible won't happen to me yeah yeah i uh i haven't played any games in a while but i did succeed in buying several and never paying like like buying them as soon as they came out or soon after so paying like 60 dollars for them mm-hmm. and just never actually playing them mm. so that was great um so i haven't really played many games lately i've been uh writing music that's that's cool. I want to get into the music, but I, I want to I want to thumbs up two games that I've played recently. No, I played moved on. No, I played Control. That game, I would love to see a movie based on that universe. It was really fun. Tell um, us more. You're this agent, or no, you're not an agent. You're this Secret. woman whose brother was kidnapped when you were a child, mm-hmm. and you finally track down the Federal Bureau of Control. Mm-hmm. And sort of some of the visuals remind me of like Inception mm. and not Lovecraftian horrors, but like strange stuff is going on in that world. Oh, yes. I've heard th- good things about this. It was a ton of fun. I beat it, um, which is not common for me, but I, I really had a good time on that one. And then um, Offworld, the new one that's kind of followed you mean the outer worlds? Out, outer worlds, yeah. The the outer worlds. Outer worlds. You seem you seem the. to really want to enunciate that, but yeah, that one yeah. was a bunch of fun. I beat it. I beat it too, which isn't. I don't know. I don't usually beat video games. I had a lot of fun with that. Are you sure Play you those. had fun, or did the game beat you? You know, I didn't get the optimal ending. I don't think so. Maybe it did beat me. 
Oh, snap. Yeah, so you didn't get the happy been. ending you were hoping, Paul, I guess? I mean, I got a relatively happy ending. But it was, it was I don't know, maybe there was happier endings. That sounds, like like, a good, that sounds like a good band name, Relatively Happy Ending. You know? Yeah. Good name. Uh, that's, your next project. that's your next project, Ed. You can do like some 8-bit uh, like chipcore chip stuff and you know, make it all like happy. I Fight Dragons or whatever that band is. Kaboom. Kaboom. I like that. I like that very much. So I, I I normally don't play a lot of games either, but I have been pouring ridiculous amounts of time into uh, Football Manager, which is the soccer simulator. I really Ooh. wish it was about real football. About but hand continue. about hand egg? No, it's about real football. I would re- I would like to have like a a football coaching game. But the market does not seem to agree with me. Yeah, I've had to I've had no to talk about that real quick. I've had some discussions with people and I think it's because for the average North American, their experience with football is playing like Sega Genesis or PlayStation or Xbox now. So they're used to actually playing because they want to be able to, you know, throw the ball 100 yards downfield or whatever. So the people who want to do those sort of football sims, there's not enough of a market. But football managers like it's been going on for like 25, 30 years or something. So I just right. have the, I have the latest one. And when I was playing it earlier, just before you know, I got onto the call, I believe just in, in the uh, football manager, 2020, I've already put 157 hours of playtime into it. And it's been out since mm-hmm. the end of November. So nice. Um, I, I like it because being an old man, uh, I don't have the Twitch reflexes to play um, video games that require Twitch reflexes. So the idea of like actually playing soccer with a controller has zero appeal. I prefer I prefer the management side of things. And the good thing about football managers, it can be as detailed as you want. You can you can be in charge of everything to do with your football team, or mm-hmm. you can just like basically be I just want to coach, uh, and I'm mm-hmm. just going to coach the first team. You but you can decide everything: signings, um, recruiting. Uh, you can manage the friendly games. You can manage only the cup games. You can just manage the regular season games. You can uh, delegate uh, training. You can do everything. You can you can literally do every single thing to do with the team, or you can just do, uh, uh, or you can just manage. What I tend to do is I I run the first team. I play all the games involving the first team, except for friendlies. I delegate those to my assistant, and I make sure to, to participate in all the. Um, transaction stuff. Uh, European football is very, very different in how it does transactions from what we're used to in North American sports. There's almost no trades. Players are free agents without compensation when their contracts are up. Uh, and players switch teams all the time. All you have to do is make a big enough offer to a team. And the team could be like, yeah, sure, you can uh, you can uh, sign a player on my team and I'll take, you know, 24 million euros for this guy on my team. So, um, so right now, the in... In Football Manager 2020, I'm managing a team in um, Spain, Valencia, um, and what I always do is whatever country over there. Oh, awesome! So whatever in whatever country I'm managing in, when I create my coach, I always do whatever variation of my name would uh, as it translates into uh, the local language. So in Spain, I'm um, I'm Cristiano uh, Corazontito, so Chris Little Heart. So mm. just a, just a just a little little conceit that I do, but I also play on the Switch quite a bit. I played a lot of the Doom game, not the brand new one, but the the one that came out before it. Yeah. So um, 
that one has been kicking my ass. Have you because done Breath again, of the Wild yet? Uh, no, I have not done Breath of the Wild. I played the, I've played a ton of Mario Kart, uh, especially with my kids. Um, mm-hmm. Played played lots and lots of the Mario Tennis. Um, I'm trying to think what else we played, but yeah, lots and lots of Mario Kart, which is a lot of fun. The kids the kids like to like it when they beat their old man at uh, at video games, so it's okay. So, you talked about about Valencia, and that reminded me of a problem we had at Wonder Proxy. And, and, and I think there's a side business that, that somebody else could spin up here that would also be kind of fun. Mm. We, so when I first made the database for Wonder Proxy, um, mm. I knew that ser- you know, there's cities that our servers are going to live in. Those cities are going to be in countries. And they'll probably be in a state or a province or something like that. By the and so way, our database uh, has like... An Excel, an Excel sheet is not a database. You know, that's, that's fine, but it, it's running the company, so it's going to work out. Okay. So, so we've got we've got like the city name, we got the state or province, and we've got the country, and these are like the columns that exist in our database, like virtually since day one, mm-hmm. and you know we use them to make like pages programmatically because we want Google to love us, and really we don't know what we're doing, and then I asked um, one of the people on our team, Mari, to sort of fill in any of the blanks, and do some like, um, make the data a little bit more consistent. You know, make sure that we were, you know, at least capitalizing correctly or, you know, for a given country, we either had like state or province for everything or for nothing, you know, because some of the stuff had been entered in, you know, weird over the years. And weird. yeah. And so, like, I didn't really pay attention to, to that for like a week or two. And then I came back and I'm like, wait, how are you still on this? Like, why is this taking so long? And then she showed me what she'd been working on. And I understood that what I had asked for was actually a really difficult problem. Because not every country in the world has this concept of a state or a province. And yep. even within a country, not everything is within a state or a province. Yep. You know, some things are and some things aren't. And, you know, in some areas of a country, there could be like four levels of government and in other areas of the country, only two. Mm-hmm. And so like the entire hierarchy and then in places where there was multi-level hierarchies, which one are we going to consider the state or province equivalent? Mm. So just looking at our at our data our, at our website, uh, Valencia is in the state or province of the Valencian community, and Barcelona mm. is in the Catalonia state or province, because like the t- the hierarchy within Spain is apparently more complicated than I expected. Oh, weird! And all of these little sort of hand grenades that I created for myself and then threw into the future back when I made the database have been coming up over time, which has right. been lots of fun. Catalonia. Yeah. This is what we call the white man's burden. You know, and I've often wished that there was like a browser plugin that would look at the address field on a website and make my address fit into those fields. Yeah, sure. Or, you know, I had my, when my sister lived in Japan. Mm hmm. addressing there is much more complicated than it is here or not, maybe not more Mm -hmm. complicated, but it's different. And so trying to figure out how to shove her address into an address field that I would naively make for myself. Right. Is also a problem. Yeah. Um, It's like, there's that, there's that great blog post on like the, the wrong thing programmers believe about names. (laughs) Right. Um, So just some sort of address combobulator where you enter your address in once and then it figures out based on the form, which pieces to shove in where. 
is a browser plugin I would spend $10 on once. It turns out it's actually just a guy in a room who's like, oh, man, I really got to click on these fast. <laughs> just like somebody's hey, hey, don't laugh. You could probably run this through Fiverr. I'm like sketching out a business a business plan as we talk about this. This could, you know? this could actually make some real money. So on the, on the topic of business plans, I have business advice that I've been thinking about for this podcast. All right. So because uh, two of the three of us have run successful businesses. So keep going, Paul. Okay. Who hasn't? Well, Ed, clearly. I saw, really? I saw his royalty statement for his music. It's, a, it's basically a failed business, but keep going. I mean, the, if, it's not failed if the, you've never tried. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a picture true. the other day that was like this larger man jogging, and mm-hmm. the caption was, laugh all you want, he's lapping everybody on the couch. Which, which I thought was a better caption than you usually see on the internet when there's a picture of a large man involved. Uh, yeah, and so, fair. so Ed, you are lapping everybody who hasn't made anything yet. I'm the most rock star among you. I mean, on my computer at least, I'm still a top Google search result for PHP rock star. Oh, yeah, it's not a good yeah. thing, but it's a thing. Yeah. Hey, speaking of which, uh, Paul, do you write much PHP anymore? I write a little bit when when nobody's looking. Yeah. Um. I think if you needed me to come, like people say, hey, Paul, why don't you go to conferences anymore? Yeah. And it's like, well, I'm used to going to conferences and speaking because then, you know, they pay for a lot of my stuff and I like that part. Yeah. And if you need somebody to come up and give like a great talk on how to write cutting edge PHP 5.4. Yeah. Maybe, maybe 5.2. <laughs> um, like I'm your guy. I could probably handle 5.2. <laughs> right? Like, like that's me. And then, and then I look at some of the stuff that's going on in our code base right now. I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So business advice from Paul of, of questionable value. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, f- what about you? Uh, what's your name? Chris. Chris. Uh, you still write that stuff for your like your little CFP thing or whatever? Yes. So, Open CFP. I mean, at, at Mozilla, I do Python all day long. Um, the well, last like bit a of person should. Yeah. Well, you know, Python, uh, it's a good language if you're into significant white space and uh, and ability to import libraries pretty easily and turn gravity off and on and things like that. Right. Um, but I, I still do PHP because I stay involved uh, in it through my open source project, OpenCFP, and also through writing books about testing and stuff. So I still do PHP. I, I mean, I don't know if I could actually write PHP 5.2 or 5.4 anymore. I've gotten so used to PHP 7 with its um, with its type hints and short array syntax and things like that. I'm not a PHP power user by any stretch of the imagination, but um, I, I definitely like what modern PHP looks like. It's it's it still remains the tool that you can hack almost anything together. Um, that's to do with the web, and uh, it seems like the PHP hate's still there. It's always going to be there um, as background noise. And I think most of the people who are making serious bank off of PHP are just content to keep using it um, as a tool, really well suited to the job of. Uh, taking requests and doing something with it and tearing that request down. I think as Rasmus has been saying in his talks lately that PHP was the original kind of serverless language with the idea of that. It's 
starts off with the request cycle, does a bunch of work, and then the request cycle um, is over, which is kind of really well suited to the way that um, coding seems to be um, headed, right? With with distinct little bits mm-hmm. of code being executed, and people like the idea of like paying um, only for the execution time and resource usage that they actually use instead of like paying a monthly fee for a, for a server. I mean, Paul talks about 500 bucks a month for a VPS. Uh, I have, I have a couple things up in different places, no more VPSs, but I run stuff through AWS and some stuff on Heroku. Um, and I think my combined hosting bill for all the nonsense I do usually runs me about 30 or $40 a month in total, which is, quite impressive when I think about how much I used to pay when I first started, you know, renting space on servers that were up on the internet. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I think uh, like, you know, Paul's entire business, a lot of it is powered by PHP, I'm sure. And I think um, part of the big mental shift I've made over the past couple of years is just also trying to tell people, when you're building something, unless you're building a tool for other developers to use, the people who are using your system don't care what it was built with. No. They just ca- they just care does it meet my my needs, and and that's all that really matters. And I think if you concentrate on on whatever you're doing as a business, and if you're building stuff with PHP or any other language, the important thing yeah. is like, am I delivering? value to the people that are using this thing because that's the only thing that really matters especially once you start charging money for something if it's free maybe yeah. some people will care but i mean like once you, you once people start one, yeah. with pearl and yep. cgi bin yep absolutely yep. um so i mean that's uh i like python i've been using python you know as the day-to-day language for um for four years now at, at mozilla um and all my experiences with php made the shift to python easy because other than some syntactic sugar they're kind of the same language just just a couple different concepts and once you learn those you know you're on your way to to uh, creating business value through a scripting language yeah i've actually been playing around in a really weird language lately i've been playing around in the game making language from game maker studio 2 oh yeah Somebody I follow on Twitter was tweeting about like trying to make a game and she was like, I think she's a PHP developer and she was making this, you know, playing around with this game. And I've had some game ideas kicking around in my head for a long time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And so I downloaded Unity. And I think I looked at the UI for like 10 minutes. Then I closed that up and was like, never again. And then I downloaded Game Maker Studio and have actually been making some progress. Um, and it's it's pretty cool. And it's weird for somebody who's actually a developer, because I think the target market for this was a lot of people who aren't developers. And so there's some decisions that were made in the language that maybe make more sense for other people than they do for me. Um, like I think when you're drawing objects, you can give them a depth and it goes from negative 16,000 to positive 16,000. And the lower mm-hmm. it is, the closer it is to the camera. Oh which seems weird and there's no null but i think negative 4 might be null it's all weird it, yeah i i heard you know you didn't used to have null in programming languages and then there was right. null what was that about it's great you know i look up perl 6 apparently it's not called that anymore is it 7 it's called do they pull a php 
I think it's called Parrot, I think. I'm Raccoon. not looking. Oh, right. Oh, they called it right. Oh, okay, well, whatever. Well, cool story, bro, I guess. <laughs> Rename the language. Uh, let's see. Um, it, uh, I don't know, kind of, it kind of looks like, uh, I guess it kind of looks like Pearl, but I don't know what the hell this thing does. I think, so I think PHP is great for building web stuff. Um, when sure. I was at Stripe, something, they yeah. use Ruby. Uh, amongst other things and one of the things that i really liked there was the REPL. i forget what it's called but you could like sort of drop into you type in php co or ruby codes and then mm -hmm. they're executed and they show you the results right away mm -hmm, and you, mm -hmm. you, you, yeah, you can like REPL. save variables and it's all um and theirs was all tied into like all of their infrastructure so i could like load up a new customer by dropping in their customer id and now i have that customer object in the REPL. And so it was a really oh, easy word. way to like build things up and try think try code out. Yeah. And like super fast, right? Because you're just typing stuff in and hitting enter and then you're getting results. But it was all like, you know, now you have a customer object and that customer object loaded from the database and that works. And all of yeah. that stuff was just there. Mm -hmm. And it, it was like in PHP, I would do that sort of thing, but I'd be like hitting refresh in my web browser. Yeah. But here it was just at the command line, and and I loved it. That's sort of one thing that I've missed from from Ruby. Yeah, um, Python has a similar thing of a jigger, which is pretty nice. Yeah, and yeah, it makes things make, makes things. It's easier to sort of like test things, like, hey, can I do this? Oh, and you just test it there instead of like being, oh, can I do this? Oh, let me start a whole web project or you know whatever. Yeah. Or not to be yeah. that guy, but you could always write a test for something. That is another way of experimenting with things. Just shut your mouth. Yeah, I know. Ed. <laughs> I know that you're was, an anti. I know you. I know you're an anti-tester. I know this, Ed. That was not the fun thing of being at Stripe. Your, 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 your code's enough. never going to make it out of childhood. Is what's going to happen. Yeah, well, that's fine. The fun thing of being at Stripe was they were big enough that they did invest in their in their dev tooling. Oh yeah, um, and so. You know, at Wonder Proxy, we're like seven people right now. And so making, you know, building a vagrant box or something seamless, you know, and putting all the effort in to make that like work really well for everybody just right. isn't worth the time. Right. But at Stripe, that was absolutely worth someone's time. And so all that stuff worked really, really well. And it was mm -hmm. amazing. Yes, that would be nice. Uh yeah. Yeah. We just don't like I we're kind of the same way with a lot of our stuff. We have more people and more projects, but, uh, you know, so there's, but you just don't have a thing where it's like, we're going to develop a bunch of our own tools and there's just not, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that, that definitely is a thing. And, and there's lots of stuff that we I find that like, like you talk about vagrant box, like probably anybody who's listening to this is like, who the hell uses that anymore? But I still use Vagrant and I still just like make EC2 virtual machines and stuff like that. And I just, I haven't like adopted Docker at all or anything like that. Cause I don't have like, I can't see enough of an upside for it for like the stuff that I do. Right. Uh, to spend the time learning it for something that basically isn't really advantageous. Uh, so what's the advantage? I don't, I still don't know. I don't know what the advantage is. I mean, I still have PHP five in production. There you go. I'm sure people are constantly breaking into it. But yeah, it it's just yeah. not that big a deal. 
Yep. I mean, you talk about tooling stuff. I mean, I've built tools because it was going to make my job easier at Mozilla and allow me to distribute the stuff that I've built to other people. So I, I on the one hand, I understand the idea of like what Paul was talking about. Stripe's humongous company is definitely worth it to them to have uh, a small team of people whose entire job is like, how can we build tools to make our developer workflow easier and things like that. But like for Docker, my use case for Docker was I have a bunch of tests that need to get run and I can't be the only one that does this because I would like to go on vacation and things like that. So in order to make that happen, I had to figure out, well, what's the best way to create something that other people can use, right? So for me, it was take the stuff I'd been running locally for testing and build a Docker image and have mm-hmm. both the tests and a web interface to run those tests in uh, inside this Docker image. So I could tell one of my coworkers, yeah, I'm going on vacation, <coughs> excuse yeah. me, next week. And they're doing a release on Tuesday. Here's all the documentation on how to do the release. Here's all the Docker images you need to install. God bless, and I'll see you in a and I'll see you in a week. So for yeah. me, I like doing stuff like that because I'm always like, I've never been one of these people like I had to suffer to figure something out, so everyone else should suffer. I'm like, no, I solved this problem in a way that I never need to have to solve it again, and now other people get to benefit from uh, from my genius and tenacity to figure this out. Yeah, well, it makes a, sense. Yeah, a related issue for Wonder Proxy was. We spent we waited a long time before we actually built an admin interface mm. for the first couple of years. I think we administered our customers through, you know, PHP my admin nice. or like the MySQL command prompt. Right. Yeah. Um, like it worked. And every minute I spent on an admin interface uh, was a minute I wasn't making things that were actually customer facing better. Yes. Uh-huh. And then and then I did some work on the admin interface and then customizing a plan for somebody and charging them a bit more money mm-hmm. went from being like, well, I'm going to need to load up my SQL and figure out what their primary key is. And then we'll write mm-hmm. some queries. I'm going to forget a where clause. We're going to need to restore the backup. Yep. Um, like it went from that to being something that didn't suck. <laughs> and we started making more money because we were willing to charge people more money. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. Um, and now that's, that's come in really helpful for us is, is the, the effort we have put into that. And one of the fun things we did is our admin interface requires a client-side certificate, Mm -hmm. which is one of those like super cool things that's not that hard, but adds a tons of security and people don't talk about much. No, they don't talk about that that much. But yes, it makes a big difference. Right. And so like if your URL includes slash admin, yeah, client-side certificate, good stuff. We we like those. Yeah, it feels like one of those things that you know has was solved years ago but somebody's still like hey i'm gonna write a 30th iteration of uh, like an npm library to right. accomplish yeah. the same thing and it'll use string reverse and things get weird <laughs> yeah. string pad is that what it was oh man my, my yeah, bad it was the pad one yeah whatever left it was left pad but yes a left pad you um admin interfaces are fun and, and tooling is fun. It's just, yeah, you can make stuff awesome if you put the time in and, and it's just figuring out whether or not it's worth it for or for the team of your size. Right. And, you know, being a single point of failure is never fun. 
but you know, spending a month on making an awesome build script that only two people will ever run and would have taken them, you know, a day to figure out from scratch is also not always the best use of time. Correct. Yeah. So you have seven people working there now. Yeah. You've never attempted to hire me. That is true. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've not, not all of them. Well, very few of them are developers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have, we have one backend developer. Well, neither is Ed, Gemma. so no worries there. Pardon me? <laughs> there, there are no developers here either. <laughs> um, you know, we've got a, a backend developer and a front end developer and, and whatever the heck I am. An assistant no. man and a support slash project manager slash research person and an accounts payable slash willing to phone ISPs on the phone person. Oh. Um, like at some point a couple of years ago, we bought Ellen a cell phone because she actually called hosting providers, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like it should be a big deal, but she opened up whole new swaths of hosting providers for us because really? yeah, hmm. like a lot of them were like, talk, you know, send us any like phone us and our account manager will talk to you. Hmm. Like when you and I think of host hosting providers think you know, enter your credit card here and then it's like, you know, digital ocean and you bleep bloop and now your box is running. Yep. Yeah. That's not, that's not how it works for like small town, Iowa, where there just happens to be a data center behind the grocery store. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. And, and you know, someone, one of our clients needs that. So we get that. Interesting. Um, the other thing we opened into recently was we've got some uh, residential servers which is where we Just, put a Chrome box in a separate internet connection in people's houses. Oh, okay. And what do you um, do with these people? Uh, we pay them a hundred dollars a month. Um, mm-hmm. And then we let our, you know, and then it's and a dedicated internet like connection. Them? Exactly. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't do anything, uh, but we, we make them talk to their cable company. Okay. And mm-hmm. Comcast is not good. I'm Canadian. No. And, and I understand that. Um, even and I probably give them over a thousand dollars a month. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's been kind of fun doing this residential stuff. Uh, A couple of our customers like it because it's, um, better geolocation, like more specific than a data center is, Mm -hmm. um, which has been kind of interesting for, you know, customers looking at blacking out content for, for specific regions for, for sport matches. Oh, okay. Sport. Uh, yes. Yeah. And that stuff's been, been kind of interesting. And then we, so we did Canada and the United States. We've got like a smattering, like 13 or something, not many. Um, I can't believe I, 13 isn't a lot of servers for me. When, when we started, I, I really didn't think we'd have ever more than, have more than 50 servers. Right. Um, which led us to tiny end problems. Uh, but we've been trying to get some residential servers in the UK. Oh boy. And mm-hmm. this is how I'm about to become the president of wonder uk limited our uk subsidiary uh-huh. um because the isps there have like a box to fill out mm. for you know when they're selling send, selling you internet mm-hmm. and the box is like so what's your uk company registry and if you can't fill in that box they can't sell it to you oh, and it's not because it's illegal for them to sell it to you it's just because like the that's how they wrote the box oh it's kind of like I kept getting sick when I went to Brooklyn Beta and yeah. would try to go to the drugstore to buy the good drugs. Mm, yes. And because of meth, they like want to scan your driver's license before they sell you the good drugs. Yep. And they're like, oh, well, we can't scan a Canadian driver's license. 
And so I would like stand yep. in front of the drugstore to see if I could find somebody to buy me the drugs you could use to make meth. Yes. Um, which isn't a good long-term strategy. Uh, and then I finally found like an independent drugstore that just wrote your driver's license number down in a book. Mm -hmm. And they could sell me the drugs. Because there was no requirement that like it had to be an American driver's license. It just needed to be ID they could scan. I see. And that's how, you know, Dwayne Reed and Rite Aid like implemented it with like this software. But independent, you know, fart shop just like wrote it down. And so it's the same right. problem in the UK. There's no law against sending selling Canadians internet. It's just not how their systems are set up. And so now we have a subsidiary and I've, you know, new lawyers and accountants. It's all not a lot of fun. Don't you feel like the Commonwealth should be allowed to sell to the Commonwealth? Right? We were gonna, so the, the ongoing joke is we were gonna call it Wonder EU, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oops. That might not be a thing for long. Yeah. I'm trying to think about you know, interesting things that have happened recently. Uh, you know, whatever. Alaska shutting down was kind of a disaster. Well, it's just saving us a lot of money because no one cares. But why they just kicked us off was weird. That does seem weird. So, well, yeah. let's talk about this. So... Are there things going on with Wonder Network that you can talk about, things that you're thinking about doing with the company now? New services, new ideas, refining existing ones, because things change. I mean, I always I tell my non-computer programming friends that one year on the Internet is like 10 years in, in the real world. Mm -hmm. Things change mm -hmm. super fast. So is there some things like you want to do with Wonder Network that you're thinking about doing or, or is underway or things that you can, you are allowed to talk about that you're thinking about doing? I mean, I could talk about whatever I want because there's no one left to yell at me. Um, nice. I like that. Yeah. It's so this whole VPN craze, I did not see coming and is dumb. Um, Oops. Don't don't buy a VPN you see advertised on some random website you're on. It, it's going to be horrible. Um, and people looking for VPNs don't tend to be awesome customers for us. So maybe we need to hide that page. Um, just, you know. Hey, hey, I pay you every month. I've been paying for years. Don't let me in with a bunch of people who are not good customers. It's not nice. That's that's fair. That's fair. You, you are a good customer. There are plenty of... <laughs> so really, the list of people who pay for the VPN service who are good customers are entirely people who people I, I know, <laughs> right? Everyone else. It's just like, who are you and why are you here? Cause um, I mean, I'm even, I'm even on like the endorsements section of, of wonder VPN. So that's excellent. Thank you. Endorsements really important. Um, I'm going to come back to that. Um, we recently, so we, something we thought about for a long time was making it easy to switch between proxy servers by giving people like a browser plugin. We finally did oh, yeah. that, I think, last th early this year or last year. Mm -hmm. And the, the Wonder Proxy Switcher has been a huge success. People love it. I don't mm -hmm. know why it took us seven years to write it. Um, that was, so that was really good. And then we added location services to support to the switcher. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when your browser's like, hey, do you want to share your location? You're like, no. Why does, you know the local Fox affiliate in Iowa, whose website I've ended up on, want to know where I am and want mm -hmm. to give me notifications and want me to subscribe. I just want to watch this funny video of like a bear doing something. Yes. That's all we want. Um, yeah. 
so like we added support for that. And I think we're, we're really right now, one of the things we're thinking about is sort of doubling down on making the browser plugin awesome. Nice. Because one of the things we thought about was that once you've signed up for Wonder Proxy, you never use the Wonder Proxy website. Like Probably. you show up, you add some servers to your account, mm-hmm. and then basically never come back. Right. And so for a lot of people, the switcher is the entirety of their experience with our product. Mm-hmm. And so ways we can make it better is one of the few ways we can actually better the experience for our customers. Right. Um, and I think that was sort of a big revelation for us. And so we've just gone through a big rewrite of the switcher because the first release was basically a tech demo. Um, and then it got a little bit prettier, but still on the tech demo foundations of code. So we've made that mm-hmm. stuff a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's been sort of a focus that's been going on for us and something we're probably going to invest in a lot next year. Mm. The other thing we've been doing is I often describe Wonder Proxy as, you know, a company that has just not yet failed. Uh, we've, we've sort of got the operations thing down. I think we're really good at finding proxy servers. We're really good at running proxy servers. Mm-hmm. We're as good at keeping them up as we can be on top of whatever hosting provider we found in, you know, random country in the world. Um, but we've never figured out marketing mm-hmm. at all. Like we sponsored a couple of conferences, um, True North PHP amongst them. We've thrown buckets of money at the Google AdWords bonfire a couple times. We've done some uh, like high-end exclusive banner network stuff. Right. Um, and none of it's ever worked. Uh, and, and so last year, we opened up a contract with a company that does like part-time CMO stuff. Hmm. And we gave them buckets of money and they helped us figure out like our big M marketing stuff. Right. Like what does Wonder Proxy do? We remove the uncertainty from localization testing. That Ooh. was something they told us. And that's a great uh, answer. It hadn't come to me in the answer. previous six years. Right. Um, and a lot of stuff about who our customers are and what their buying journey looks like. And so that stuff underhand, we're now moving forward to actually try to do marketing. Yeah. And really, we're doing it because we felt powerless. Or I did. I don't, I don't know about everyone else. Like, customers will probably show up next month, but I have no way of making more of them show up. Or, I got you. Or I don't know why they're showing up at all. And despite this, I have six people who work for me and are maybe relying on me to pay their mortgage. Maybe I should figure that out. Do we swear on this podcast? Oh, yeah. I should probably figure that the fuck out so people's yep. mortgages keep getting paid. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, if um, you think so. I, I, I do. And so, you know, we figured out the big M marketing and now we're sort of getting into the actual implementation the fact that I took a bunch of time off this year because we had a baby was sort of in the middle of a lot of this work. Um, yeah, I'd say that the two biggest things we've got on the plate right now are trying to make the switcher better and, and trying to understand marketing and, and sort of what levers we can pull. I feel really thankful for the time I spent at FreshBooks because I was actually sort of in the marketing half of the organization and they've figured out a lot of stuff and there's a lot of smart people working there 
who explained things to me and, you know, they're clearly operating on a completely different scale than we are, uh, especially since they've taken some rounds of investment. But, you know, they understand, you know, we can spend this much money and get this many customers. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, and so if we can improve average revenue per user, then we can afford to afford to spend more money or if we could do, you know, this return and like, like they're, they're looking at all those dials. And so I've seen how well an or a marketing organization that understands what it's doing can run. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to sort of like dig my way out of the dirt so I can see daylight and, and sort of figure out what's going on for us. Right. I gotcha. And a lot of it's tricky just because we're so low traffic, right? Like 300,000 people aren't coming to our site tomorrow. So I can't run seven simultaneous AB tests and great, get great results this week. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, I think, I think we're, we're, we're trying some stuff and like, maybe we'll get results in like three or four weeks, mm-hmm. even, even for like a big lift. Right. Big lift. All right. Uh, Paul has talked enough about his awesome company. Um, Ed, because I, I know the music thing is the biggest thing that's changed. Not just in the past three years, but literally since the last time we recorded an episode. So why don't you talk a bit about what's going on with um, Dead Agent and other musical efforts? Yeah, that I mean, that's like the main musical effort that I have. And uh, so I guess the big difference is that, like, I sort of got a little bit more semi-serious about music and trying to get it, make it and write it and make it available to people. And um, because I've been doing music for, you know, over 20 years, but uh, like actually trying to sort of get it promoted and get it out there and stuff like that has been uh, hasn't been a focus of mine for uh, like 15, 16, 17 years. Um, And uh, the music uh, market and industry is just completely different than it was 20 years ago. Um, It used to be that as an independent musician, you could probably pretty safely like put out, like make a 500 or a thousand CD run and probably sell most of that. And you could pretty safely do that and sell them for, you know, maybe you'd get five or six bucks return uh, on each CD as an independent um, and do okay. Even if you didn't like play live or stuff like that. And that's completely different now. Um, Basically, uh music like recorded music is so commodified that essentially nobody sees much value in it um it's so it's just not worth much right and so uh that's why so almost everybody consumes it by streaming um and so you uh and and there is almost no money whatsoever made in that it's really it's it's ridiculously low and spotify in particular is is really uh i guess you could debate about whether they're bad for artists or whatever but they're certainly not really particularly good for artists except maybe as a promotional tool you kind of treat them like radio more than you treat them like uh something that you know oh there's some value in getting streamed because you to be able to let's see yeah it, it, it it's what would ha- what did i s- what i saw was that like if somebody listened to an album that i put out on spotify 
And if I sold that album for $5, somebody would have to listen to the album, every track in the album, a hundred times to be able to pay for that $4 they gave me to just buy it, like through something like Bandcamp, which is what I use to, to sell most of my stuff is I, I sell it through a site called Bandcamp. Um, so lots of indie artists use Bandcamp for that kind of stuff. Uh, so the streaming market is just, it's terrible. Like if you actually give a shit about artists making any money, you need to go buy stuff from them. Like maybe it's not even music. You buy merchandise or you go see them live or things like that because there is no way in hell they're making any money off of what you're doing. Um, now, uh, Music executives and people own labels and shit like that are making lots of money, but artists are not, not from that. So, yeah, the CEO of Spotify is worth $2.5 billion, and uh, he's like, yeah, I don't know, man. It's kind of a weird situation, right? Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, you can sit around and complain about that stuff a bunch, but it just kind of is the way it is. So... I don't try to make any money at it because there's no way I'm going to, or at least I would have to so dramatically change my life and abandon almost everything in it to try to make that happen. That it's just, I just don't think it's worth it. Um, as a non-touring artist, it's extremely difficult to make money to like, even just like live. And I, I mean like at a, at a, you know, a poverty kind of level. Uh, so, but I actually really like doing it. And, um, so I put out this EP, which is, uh, like it was a six song EP. And then there were a couple extra tracks that you got if you downloaded it through Bandcamp and paid for, for Bandcamp. And, um, I did it as kind of a collaboration with a guy who's a visual artist, uh, my friend, Matt Wallace. Uh, and so he did visuals for it and I did this music and, um, it's gone pretty well, all relatively speaking. Um, and, uh, you know, um, I, a lot of people seem to like it. I'm going to do a PR push probably starting next week to try to get more people sort of, uh, get it out there to more sort of zines that cover these kinds of things like websites and DJs and journalists and things like that. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, uh, I, you know, I'm writing music. That's kind of an, it's in an extremely niche genre, uh, that, you know, doesn't appeal to most people, uh, and is kind of the way it is, but I don't know, some people dig it. So that's been good. And I've gotten to meet a lot of people who like, I admire or think are cool, who have been really supportive of what I've been doing. And that's been really great and really, uh, edifying and, uh, and very cool. So, um, so all that's been, been really good. Um, so, yeah, I've just done that. I've done like six or seven remixes in the past two or three months uh, for different artists. And uh, it's been it's been fun. I mean, there's no money in it whatsoever, but I enjoy doing it. So it's good stuff. Like Something literally, happened. if I, I was just going to say, if I could get a, if I could zero balance it, like actually break even and have have nothing to show for what I've done, you know, in terms of monetary value, mm -hmm. that will be an accomplishment. Like if I have not lost money at the end of the, you know, the end of the year for on this. So, yeah. And is that on equipment or your time? 
Oh, I don't measure my time. So okay. if I so if I measured my time, I I mean you're talking you know probably hundreds of hours of time and yeah. no 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 pay whatsoever for any of okay. that and in fact lost money by buying some things so but over the yeah. years i like would buy stuff and i would like not really do anything with it so this is probably better at least i'm doing something with it and actually releasing it and trying to get people interested in it, stuff like that and trying to get people to listen to it because i think if you make art you know you re you put it out there because you want people to interact with it in some way or experience it in some way otherwise there's not really much point to well you can make art just for yourself that's fine but you wouldn't make any if you didn't care about what people thought about it you wouldn't like you would just keep it for yourself you wouldn't like you know put it out there uh so yeah so it's it's a it's a very different it's a different experience for sure but it's it's a an enjoy it's been an enjoyable one and very different than what i do in my day job what yeah. were you gonna say paul I've I've been wondering for a while when the best time to be an artist, like being a being a musician, would have been throughout history, right? And whether that's different for different levels of artists, like if maybe the best time for you would have been the nineteen sixties, and the best time for the Rolling Stones would be today, or like like right. you know if if different levels of artists when the be absolute best time to have been performing would have been. It seems, I mean, it seems to me that uh, if you don't tour, uh, I don't think it matters what era um, you are in. Right. Like as Ed, as Ed says, he's a non-touring artist, right? So he's just making music and, and releasing it. I, I don't think there's a good time. Um, I don't think there would have been a time period where that would have been any better for Ed. As far as touring, I think the biggest difference now is the higher, more popular artists can make way more money off of touring than they could have um, 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's my impression based on ticket prices. And when you do a little bit of research and you find out how much tours are bringing in and overall revenue, um, you you reach a certain level of of popularity within your genre and you can start raking in serious serious money um from your tourists because what you can pay for the tickets and the merchandise it all goes with it so um i think now is like i think now is actually the golden age for large artists touring i think like smaller artists probably in the 60s and 70s you could maybe make a living touring but you know, now I, think, I yeah i think like in the 60s or 70s there's also like you could be great locally and compete locally in ways that are less done now mm -hmm. right because you know the big conglomerates own all of the radio stations and they're programmed out of a database wherever maybe aws these days right. and that's what gets played but you know you know in the 70s you know, maybe you could have met the, the the DJ who played your kind of music on the local station and gotten your discs for sale at some of the local, you know, record shops. And that would have been like a feasible way to do things. It's so it's yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, I know nothing of the music industry. Yeah. So I know a little bit. So um, maybe the person who knows a little bit about it, we'll talk about it here for a second. Um what i what i think the big difference that you see now is that so there's 
it's kind of like comparing like i don't know world war one to like world war two like it sucked hard and then it sucked amazingly harder Right. Okay. So it used to really suck in lots of ways because um, artists, uh, it has always sucked for for musicians um, uh, as artists trying to do stuff. I com- if you were to compare it to say like TV or movies or things like that, those still have excessive like difficulty in accessing things and stuff like that. But people who participate in that are um, protected in a lot of ways by really strong unions, and there is nothing like that in in for musicians. So that's one thing just to kind of keep in the back of your mind when it comes to this stuff. So you know, as for example, as um, streaming television shows and movies has become really common and the accessibility of content has been, uh, has been really good. Um, there is still a, there's still a lot of sort of machinery at work so that the amount of money that those pro the things that are made, the actual like sort of end product, which is the produced show TV show or movie, um, what that is, still has some value protected and still has an amount of money that's paid to the people who participate in it. Um, So uh, it is not the case that um, like it, it really was the case at one time and probably up until I would say Napster slash E donkey or whatever the fuck you want to use. My my bad. Yeah. Good job, buddy. Um, well, it was just, it's just the technology became really, really easy to move recorded music around. And essentially, streaming was the thing that the industry figured out with people in order to allow uh, in order to allow them to stay in business. Um, but what it did was it tanked the value of recorded music. So um, it was possible for you to not be a touring musician and still make some money. And now it is basically impossible unless you uh, are unless you decide to take a route of like licensing music to lots of people, and you really try to market yourself that way in terms of you know having your music used that way. I don't want to do that. Uh, so, uh, that, that's not something I'm interested in, but, um, but basically it became so easy to get music that it was stupid to try to charge for it. And the funny thing though, is that it's easier than ever for anybody because the same technology that does that makes music far more accessible. And also all the technology makes music easier uh, in terms of like the flexibility and price point that you have to hit in terms of creating um, music that's gotten lower and lower and lower. Right. So it is far easier nowadays than it probably was ever to be a musician. And you could do all this stuff like on a laptop in your coffee shop that used to be, you know, 20 years ago that maybe you could do it with a PC in a really nice room in your home. And then five to 10 years before that, you had to go into a studio to do right. So you had to spend thousands, if not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that stuff. And now all that stuff, you can do it on a laptop. 
right yep. and it's super easy to do but at the same time also like the re the results of it the recorded recorded music has become uh for the most part so commoditized that it has no value whatsoever so it sort of ends up serving as advertising for performances for performing for performers so you know a charlie xex or uh or a, or a, a, you know or some other pretty popular musician slash performer what they make money is by performing they do not make any and maybe by doing stuff with advertising and and deals like that or all stuff they do not make money based on the art they make so mm -hmm. the thing they make the song it, that re a recording of that song has essentially no value in the marketplace now um so uh, it's a weird, so it's kind of a weird thing, but it's always sucked for musicians. Like the record industry has always sucked ass. And uh, I mean, so I guess it's always sucked for musicians, you know, while there's been a recording industry. I mean, there didn't used to be, right? And you could just be a musician and there you can still just have musicians. The record industry doesn't need to exist, right? It, it uh, you still have, you still have music if the recording industry goes away. Uh, but um, the uh, so so uh, it's always sucked, but in some ways it's it's easier to make things, but it's probably a lot harder to sell things if you are a person who is simply interested in doing artistic things. I mean, it's always been the case that like it's been marketing driven and it's like accessibility focused and stuff like that. It's like they don't want to pick up some band they think sucks or is like a difficult band to listen to or something like that. So nobody wants to hear, you know, shit that's esoteric and weird and avant-garde and stuff like that for the most part right there isn't much of that but mm -hmm. um it's just it's a different thing now so i don't i don't know like you have a bunch of like in some ways it's cool because i can go and i can spend 50 dollars and distribute my album in like every single way that people get music like digitally I can get it put in the iTunes store and I can get it put in the Google play store and I can get it put on Spotify and Apple music and Tidal and Deezer and, and last FM and all that shit. I, and I, I only have to spend $50 to do that. And so that's amazing to me because like getting your CDs, like in record stores, what used to be an enormous hassle, like yeah. for an, an independent artist. And now it's like, you can literally just be like, yo, check my SoundCloud link out right so um you could just do that there's people who just like made careers doing that shit uh, i i don't but i'm i don't know man i don't like playing like those social media games very much and i guess maybe i'm not very good at it uh but uh i just like i like writing the music and i like sort of and i like that process of like doing it and sharing it with other people and like sort of you know, like trading off their energy and mine and stuff. And that's really cool. And that's really fun. Um, so that's become like kind of a big part of my life, but it's interesting that, and I think most, I think, you know, it's fine, but I think most people don't understand just how screwy like the music biz is now. Um, you know, that band L seven pretty famous. No, 
Well, they were like a yes, grunge, I, yes, I know them. Yep, they were a grunge rock band that was around for a long time. They were sort of notable for uh, being an all-female band. Um, uh, they sent, did that song "Pretend We're Dead," which was uh, probably their biggest hit, I guess. Um, and I remember they, I saw a documentary about. Them. I mean, they've been around. They were around a long time, like 15, 20 years. And they said, like at our peak. I think they said they made a thousand dollars a month, and that that's was, not a lot of money. That was when stuff was relatively better, you know. Right? And they so they they were touring constantly and releasing records and doing all that stuff, and that was supposed to be the good times when oh well, no Spotify's all turned up, and that that band who's pretty a lot of people know L Seven. Uh, they never make anything. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, nah, just didn't happen. So I don't know. Is it better? Is it worse? I don't know. It, in a lot of ways, it's cool because you can reach more people, but in a lot of ways it's bad because there's just no market for, for music, but there's the possibility of so many people being exposed to stuff. You just don't make money doing that, right? Yeah. So it's a weird thing. Is like, it's like asking, I guess, in the end of the day, is it like, has Instagram made things better for good photographers? Like, as a photographer, does that make your life better? I don't know. Has the internet, like the internet in general, you could ask the same question about like, you know, still photography, right? Uh, I don't know. Some people will be like, well, you can do this and this and this and all this technology exists now to do all these things that you used to have to do in dark rooms and all this shit. And you do all this amazing yep. stuff now. And then at the same time, I uh, like, it's so easy to steal stuff now, <laughs> right? It's so yeah. easy. And like, it's, so it's just different. And I don't know if it's better. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's better. I'm not sure it's worse. It sure is shit is different though. And that's hard. I guess the thing that's kind of a bummer is that you can have like a lot of people into your music. Let's say, you know, I have 10,000 people like add my album on, uh, um, on uh spotify let's say or i know i know artists who have like you know they were posting because spotify had this thing for artists where it was like here's what your year in review was and i know artists who were like they had let's say a hundred thousand streams and that's like boy that sounds like a lot somebody listened to one of your songs a hundred thousand times they they they've got nothing to show for it <laughs> nothing and so i think the thing that's kind of weird is that there's this thing where it's like, I think it's the understand. There's this like separate. There's I think the thing that's really frustrating is that separation between people who you would say, well, they like my music, they're fans of my music, but these people, but the folks using it and uh, interacting with it, kind of don't understand, like, what they, the, you know, how they choose to interact with it and the different consequences there are about that. Like, if I choose to do X, like buy it in this way versus I just stream it on here. Uh, what, what difference does that make to the artist? And it does make a pretty big difference to, to, to a lot of artists. Like if you just can, if you just like, you know, took 10% of those people, those streams and like turn them into some kind of paid thing. Like those people bought albums. You'd be, I'd be like, Holy shit. That would be a huge amount of money. All right. 
but it's, it seems weird to me that like radio stations, terrestrial radio doesn't need to pay anything to artists. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And radio on the internet needs to be different. Yeah. And, uh, and hold on, just, just interrupt terrestrial radio pays for every song that they play. I don't believe that to be true. I think they pay for a license and then they're good to go for whatever they want to do. No, that's not how it works at all. They have to track every song that they play and someone gets paid for every time the song is played on the radio. Uh, Just so you know, uh, this is in the U S I can't speak to Canada in the U S terrestrial broadcasters do not pay performers or sound recording copyright owners. Sorry, Ed, can you say that one more time? So in the U.S., I can't yeah. speak to Canada. That could have different, completely okay. different rules about it. And I know Canada has like different rules about like yeah. con- like content where it's created and things like that. Yeah. In the U.S., terrestrial broadcasters, so people you know broadcasting o- over radio signals, they do not pay performers or sound the performers, the people performing in the recording, or the people who own the copyright on that recording. They do not pay those people. Okay. That's, so that's, so that's in the I U.S. Thought. Now it may so um, you may get um, uh, so it it can vary, um, but I think what it is I think it is the case though that the the person who owns the songwriting credit does get payment for a what be on here and I'm actually looking this up on some stuff the royalty laws are very interesting and complex and most people sort of don't know a lot about the details of this so you kind of have to really do a little bit of research on it but the short version is that as a songwriter if I'm the songwriter for a song um I have that credit on that composition uh, performance of that composition um mm-hmm. and that is played on broadcast radio that's considered a public performance and therefore you get royalties to the songwriter but the performers themselves so let's say you're britney spears mm-hmm. and the people who own the copyright on the recording which is usually a publishing company or could be her record label things like that who mm-hmm. own the master recordings they don't get paid for radio play but the person who wrote the song which is probably a producer does get paid for that okay so Max Martin, uh, who you know wrote uh, wrote a bunch of songs, Britney Spears stuff, and other things like that, he gets royalties um, through a company called ASCAP, and there's a few different um, there's a few different companies that collect royalties automatically for people for, okay. for members. ASCAP is one of them. BMI is another one, and so Max Martin gets money on those radio plays, but Britney Spears does not. I read I heard I read an interesting story one time that Gene Roddenberry wrote lyrics mm. for the Star Trek theme song. Oh, like I think TNG. that's right. Yeah, uh-huh. Because then he needed to pay the composer less money for it. <laughs> that sounds like something he'd do. Yeah. Here, cool. I'm gonna. I'll put this thing in here about radio royalty. So okay, somebody's so the, getting paid, but, but it's here's not Britney thing. Spears. 
Right. Yeah, and the music's the music's not free. And and just to derail for one more second, it's um, talk radio actually ends up being more expensive than radio with music because the the the, um, staff. I remember seeing a thing about like talk radio versus. you know, music radio, talk radio actually costs more money because it, it costs more to have someone there in the studio mm-hmm. speaking uh, for a long period of time um, than it would be to pay for um, the pay for the music that gets played during that same time. So talk radio actually costs quite a bit of money. So that's why talk radio is always plastered with so many ads for things because by the person, usually by the host of the thing, because they, they have to pay a ton of money for the rights um, to broadcast people. It, it's ironic that it costs more for people speaking than it does for the music, which I always found kind right. of interesting. Right, because most um, most music stations now are completely programmed and automated. So yep. there's no there's no DJ, there's no Venus flytrap. It's not like WKRP anymore, right? There's nobody sitting there. It is a computer that's just yelling things into a radio broadcast device. So it doesn't. There's nobody doing that. It's all programmed and probably distributed, and it's the exact same program in in a hundred different stations uh, across the country you know it's all clear channel shit so that's all that's all controlled and 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 handled so yeah talk radio would be would absolutely be more expensive because you actually have to pay like two people to be sitting there talking right you know so those are employees you don't need in in music bob's burgers did an episode of this Mm. but so so chris what's new with you yeah you have 10 minutes (laughs) Yeah, I have I have five minutes. Ironically, not much is new because the the big change happened a couple of years ago when we um, sold our tiny shoebox of a house in the Toronto area and bought a palatial estate in the countryside of southwestern Ontario. So, it, whereas other people have been getting busier, and also because I'm kind of like I mean I know it's an overblown thing, but at a different point in my life than what Ed is at and what uh, you Paul are at, and that. Uh, you know, I have the stable job, much like you guys, but my kids are a lot older now. My youngest is 14 now. And so it doesn't require as much hands-on attention as they used to. And so with the change in moving to a much calmer place with more things around me to make me want to stay home instead of like, you know, going to, to conferences and doing stuff, um, I do less and less things and more. I do more stuff um, ironically, more stuff not for money anymore, less effort on the side business, basically. So just as, as I get older and I, I like to like hang out in my backyard because I have a patio and a fire pit and I can, when the weather's clear, I can look outside and actually see stars and things like that. So it's been, the change has been that I do less now. That's basically the biggest change. My, my uh, blood pressure is down. My resting heart rate is way down. And I just feel a lot more chill about my life than I used to. So there's a nice little 120 second update, I guess. Nice. Uh, it is ironic. I live, I live close enough to, to Paul that I could drive probably an hour and a bit to hang out, but our paths just don't cross enough. Although I should come out sometime and uh, for lunch and see you and your wonderful children and your darling wife. And, and maybe next time Gemma is in town, um, I could come out and say hello to her as well. Sure. We had her in Canada for this summer for Wondercation. Nice. Uh, where'd you guys go for? Uh, where, where, yeah, I was going to say, where'd you go for Wondercation? Uh, rented like a, a big cottage. 
that ended up being a hot mess. Well, where in what general area? Because you can probably tell me in a Bala? way that our listeners. Well, oh yeah, I know where Bala is. That's in the Muskoka um, Cottage Country region of Ontario. S- like most of the bathrooms didn't work. It was just the dock that was supposed to be there had washed away. It was supposed to repair it the day we arrived. The day after we arrived, never actually fixed. It was weird. So yeah, Anyways, so 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 yeah. for me, I just like I kind of like make a conscious decision to do less less travel to conferences because I've been doing the conferencing for a super long time, and I'm basically down to the mm-hmm. point where like. I'm only go, I only want to kind of go to events where I'm being invited to go and to go to places I haven't been for. And as I busy go to places, there's fewer and fewer places that have fewer and fewer places that I just haven't been parts of the world that I haven't been to. Yeah. Like the last big three that I could honestly, I could go to play, go to events in these three places and then be content to never go to another conference again would be go to one in South America. I know enough people that run conferences down there. I could go to one, go to one in Japan. That one's a little bit trickier. And then the super long one uh, would be to, there's a PHP conference in South Africa. So okay. I could I could go to all those three and then have said I've spoken at a conference on every continent except Antarctica and I just don't need to go to these things anymore. Yeah, I go, I go to MicroConf every year. I have a good time there, and I'll probably go to some QA conferences next year. Yeah, I've seen uh, Amy Hoy talk about MicroConf a few times. It sounds like a, mm-hmm. sounds like a um, a great conference for that um, for that group of people who are small business owners who are always looking to find new and interesting things to do with their business. Yeah, that's pretty good. On the topic of keeping busy, I think I can hear my toddler screaming, so I should probably go soon. Tell that kid to keep it down. You know, I don't want to make your sound stuff hard. Yeah, right. Gotta take my baby filter out of there. Well, it has to apply the my home furnace filter, and then the latest thing is the sump pump filter, and then he oh, yeah. and then he edits out all the creaks and pops from my chair, and then that's how we somehow end up with an episode. But I guess awesome. if Paul has to go, I guess it's a good time to wrap things up. So this has been another exciting episode of the Development Help Podcast. Ninety nine times Ed and I have gotten together and recorded a podcast, sometimes with a guest, sometimes just the two of us. We're getting super close to doing number 100. And honestly, I don't know what's going to happen after number mm. 100. Um, we may just be done. I may keep doing this without with Ed participating once in a while. Thought about doing that. We'll have to see how it goes. But you can find every single episode of the podcast we've ever done on our website at devhell.info, where um, I come up with a title. Ed finds a snappy graphic. Uh, one of us does up the notes and edits the sound files and they put up there you can also find us on itunes if you do listen to us on itunes thank you for listening to us all these years on itunes the feedback has been helpful but didn't really change what we do on the podcast at all um you can also uh if you really uh, want to wait a long time for a response you can interact with us on twitter with our twitter account um at dev underscore hell you can find me on twitter as grumpy programmer without the U, you can find it as Funkatron with you. Um, I don't think Paul's on Twitter very much these days, or I just don't pay attention to his messages. I hope it's that you're not on very much. I view Twitter a really weird way with lists these days. So if Paul is tweeting, I just don't see it very often. But uh, I, Paul, I do thank tweet you. Occasionally, oh, well, it was really probably, funny a week or two. You should look at it. Well, I can always search and find and, and like something and get you on the uh, exclusive VIP list that I watch, but uh, that cool. I uh, that I follow on Twitter. But uh, thanks for joining us tonight, and as always, thank you to it was our wonderful listeners. An ultimate episode, maybe. Yeah, maybe we'll have to see. I've been people have been asking me what's going to happen to the podcast. I'm like, I'm pretty sure after 100, 
um, Ed will be a guest emeritus. And if something's going to happen, it's going to be me talking to other people. I have thought about if I want to do that. But again, in line with my idea of just doing less things and trying to do the few things that I do continue to do a lot better than I did before. Maybe the podcast is the thing that just doesn't make it. We've had a really good run. I mean, what are we on? Like almost year eight now, Ed, I think 2012 yeah. or 2011. Yeah, was, we started with 2011. Yeah. 2011. So we've been doing this a very long time. It's been super enjoyable, but all things must come to an end. So on that super downer note, um, we'll talk to you folks soon. Good Thank night, you. Internet. No, no, it's my turn. Good night.